Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in our podcast of Burn Orange Nation. And you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Help get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Gitteridge. I'm your host to speak like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's never slapped a comedian, but what if he had to? Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, I would tell him, you, you keep my my co-host podcast out your mouth. You know, you, you keep it out your mouth. Um, no, uh, Gerald, we're not here to talk about award shows um, though we could, and I could talk about how maybe the most convincing argument for that being staged was looking at the actual list of best picture nominees. Um, there's like two that I even had any interest in. Uh, I looked at after the fact and man, it was, it was a rough, rough hang. Um, but no, uh, we aren't here to talk about awards shows. we might talk about some weekly awards across our various sports for the nation's reigning number one, uh, sports program at the collegiate level. But that that's, that's more the speed I'm ready to talk about G. The Academy Awards have kind of already been a shell of themselves for quite a long time. And it's just like, a, it's super dumb thing. And whatever it's fine switch the genders on licorice pizza and see if you still feel the same about it but we're not here to talk about questionable relationships in movies we're here to talk about questionable baseball on the baseball diamond texas heads into lubbock and comes away with a series loss at the hands of the dirt burglars over there women's basketball made us proud in the elite eight but could not make it to the final four, uh, falling to Stanford in a heartbreaker. Well, down the 40, a lot of stuff going on this weekend. People competing for national championships, softball getting back to the winning ways, and just continued dominance from some of the more dominant teams. We'll close the show out with some down the 40. We're going to do two shows this week because we've got a lot to cover. We'll do spring practice this Friday because we're a day late this week. We want to celebrate Earl Campbell's birthday on the podcast. Here we are. Happy birthday, Tyler Rose. But, Kyle, if I had told you, Heading into the weekend, that Texas would out-hit Texas Tech 49-22 to on the weekend. How would you have predicted the weekend turned out? Uh, Gerald, I would have asked. I would have said, give me a few more details. Are the walks the same? The amount of walks? Yes. Are the errors within plus or minus margin of one? Texas had one error compared to Texas Tech zero errors on the. In weekend. that case, I would imagine if you told me that Texas out hit a team forty nine to twenty two, even if it is their home ballpark, given the factors you've just given me about no discernible difference in walks or fielding, that being those the three phases of the game, and and two are equal, and one is exponentially out. I would have said Texas swept and won each game by five runs or more. I mean, it, it, that would have been my guess. Is that what happened? No, Texas managed to lose two of the three games of the weekend, five to four on Friday, thanks to a walk-off 10th inning steal, which is absolutely dumb. Uh, on Saturday, 10 innings, grand slam to end the game to the same stinking guy. Sucks to hear it. And then Texas... Finally proved on Sunday that 12 hit the 12 runs should be enough to win the game. <laughs> Run ruling Texas Tech to avoid 
the sweep. Kyle, it's it's like it almost breaks my brain thinking about how Texas managed to lose the series. Yeah, let me start with the macro, right? Like you, the the ELO rankings for these two teams, Texas was at number three, Texas Tech was at number five. You just look at that, both these two teams should be hosting regional. So if you told me, look, two of the top five teams in the country were playing, one of which it's their home field that, you know, they, they're built for their home field. They, they hit a lot of long balls and it's a stadium that gives up long balls, right? And, and you said you win one out of two and you send both to extra innings you're like man that's that's a good i'll take that that's pretty good um (laughs) but man it did not feel like that it just hurt so much more to lose two winnable games i mean sure the we'll talk about it the sunday win was a nice salvo for the soul um if you're gonna you know salvage anything a, a run ruling uh on a sunday is a good way to do it um but yeah i mean look these were two good teams you knew tech was coming in pitching really well uh, better than i think people expected uh, also they had a exponentially weaker strength of schedule so the advanced metrics were a bit skewed for tech so i wasn't sure how good their pitching actually was but what you did know is that they were blasting the ball all over um and, and that held true like tech hit a bunch of home runs this weekend texas has given up a bunch of home runs even in their big week the 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 week before where it was get right week even that week they gave up some home runs like they texas right now their their biggest weakness on this team is both starters and bullpen are giving up more home runs than anyone expected um the the thing that's great is the bats are crushing it but they just have to figure out again it's bad luck to think you're going to lose both those games on kind of crazy plays on a guy who had two hits the entire series um but man he made his 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 plays count right and in two walk-offs and in unbelievable fashion so i mean it's a crazy series kudos to tech they're a good team they they did what they needed to to win they did just enough each time um maximizing not a lot of hits not a lot of walks but just stringing it together when they needed to right they, there's no statistical reason if you play those stats out the way that you listen to me gerald that 96 out of 100 times that texas doesn't win at least two games in a series where those stats are true but they didn't and kudos to tech and we'll need to talk a little bit about what that means for Texas and, and some of the issues that are rearing their head a little. It just seems wild to me that it appears as Tanner Witt's UCL was holding the entire Texas pitching staff together. <laughs> like, that's the craziest thing to me because if you if you rewind to Minute Maid Ballpark, like what Texas was doing in Houston to Tennessee, who's now very clearly the best team in the country, they shut down Tennessee, they shut down LSU. And then the wheels seemed to fall off at the same time Tanner Witt's UCL started acting up. He had to shut it down for the season. And that, to me, is, is the biggest thing. And, and Texas is playing right now and gave up a grand slam to Texas A&M just a few moments ago. It's so like, it's just crazy to think that, like, rewind to the preseason. We're talking about how elite this pitching staff is. And now Texas is giving up. Again, they gave up 21 runs in two games. 21 runs in two games, 16 of those in a loss. Like, if you tell me that Texas gives you 12, 12 in a Saturday game, I think you win by at least one run, right? Texas scored nine unanswered in that Saturday game, and they still were unable to win it. It ended up going to extras, and it was the bullpen falling apart again. And that, to me, is going to be the cap for the season. That is the thing that is going to be the limiter for how successful Texas can be this year, is can the bullpen figure it out? Do they have it within them to figure it out? Aaron Nixon, who was kind of a lights-out closer last year, struggled has struggled and struggled, and he's part the reason why Texas gave up those 
uh, tying runs to send it to extras and, and ended up losing the game. Like that to me is the thing is like, I'm not sure how to put the, the finest point on it, but it seems like some of these guys, whether it's on the mound or from the plate are just not up for the moment all the time. And that is going to be a differentiator for Texas. Yeah. I think certainly in, in just the arms and I, I, we've been saying bullpen kind of collectively to mean the whole roster, but I mean, this, this was a tough weekend for the, the two marquee starters, you know, left with, with wit being out, right. Your two name guys, the big names, both struggled a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about Hanson settling it down, but I mean, both struggled and, and the bullpen certainly had its struggles in the end, but middle relief was better maybe than, than I expected after, you know, Stevens had his worst outing of his career. They were able to even get back in that one. Um, so, you know, it was, there's pluses, there's minuses. It seems like this year when we talked about Texas having potentially one of the best bullpens, one of the best set of arms in the country. I think it was pretty unanimously based on the fact of what they did last year, what the guys they were bringing in, what the guys who were hurt and couldn't contribute, and ultimately just looking at their stuff. And their stuff is still elite. It's been control. This whole year, it's been control. And I think for Nixon, um, you know, he hasn't been nearly as good as he was last year, but he's been able to get away with it. Um, he's walked himself into some tough jams and then risen to the occasion, but he's mainly done it with his nasty slider. He has not been able to locate his fastball. And you can go down the list of about four or five pitchers who, who are struggling to some extent this year. And a lot of it is just control and, and locating their stuff where they want it. But the, the, the stuff is there. They have speed. They have nasty breaking balls. They have pitchers with some elite MLB stuff. It just And, and again, it's a long season. That's not to say that if they're, they're a little shaky now and they get hot at the end of the season and make a run, that I'm not thrilled that that's exactly the order it goes in. It's much better that way than the opposite. But let's talk a little bit about each of these games quickly on a, on a, on a micro level since we've talked so much macro. Absolutely. So on Friday, Texas and Texas Tech combined for seven Solo home runs, three of those are for the bad guys, four for the good guys, surprisingly. Um, Pete Hansen, again, you mentioned him, gave up three hits. All three went over the fence. And again, some of that has to do with like the wind out there in the plains and the, the ballpark is very hitter friendly. Um, but again, all three of his hits, he stri- like that seven innings pitch, three hits in seven Ks is a normal Pete Hansen outing. That's a pretty normal standard start for Pete Hansen on a Friday night. It just happened to be in a ballpark that is made for hitters to hit. And those three just happened to carry a little bit extra. But so once Hansen was out of the game, it, Nixon came in and, and pitched. Okay. We'll say um, probably his best outing of the weekend, which isn't saying a whole lot, but uh, he struggled to locate the ball. And that's kind of going to be the story of the weekend for all of Texas's uh, pitchers. But um it seems like Tech scouted him a little bit on his wind up and release to, to time that uh time that walk off steal. Yeah, look, Nixon will tell you, you know, he's a guy who can pitch seven innings a night, right? Like he he doesn't think he's only a closer. He was a starter in high school, he position player as well. He's a baseball player. But, I mean, all things considered, he's been in the role of closer. That's a high leverage, high pressure situation. Two and a third innings for a closer is, is tough, right? The fact that he had to come in um, after Southard struggled um, in the eighth, and then it goes extras, and you're like, do we pull our closer? Do we keep going? He was he was, he was was pretty good until the tenth, right? And then then the fastball kind of left him, and back-to-back walks leads to, you know, the, the coming set, staring at the ground with an 0-2 count, trying to get out of a jam with a runner on third. You don't think that he's going. And, and I mean, look, a hundred percent credit to Tadlock um, on that scouting and on the, on the uh, huevos grandes to, to, to make the call to whisper in his ear, go um, at that point in the game. But again, you're in your, your nine hitter who's down. Oh, two. It's like, 
he's probably not going to drive that run in at that point. It's it's little league. It's like, yeah, maybe maybe I'll send my fast guy and see if we catch him off guard because he's not. I don't think this guy is going to beat Nixon here. So, I mean, I wonder what the narrative is if, if Nixon is able to do what he's done all season, which is get out of the jam. But it looked like he was so locked in on getting that strikeout that he was just focusing, kind of dr- composing himself, getting that slider in his mind visually ready and did not see the guy at all. And that's that's a little bit of a kink in his game that they're going to have to watch for the rest of the season. You can't do that. Um, you can't let someone have a big lead and then take off without seeing it. Um, but, you know, again, though Hanson struggled, he set down 17 straight. The Longhorns in the first game, you know, getting out to a, a big lead and then giving up three solo shots like that, they could have wilted. And they didn't. They fought. And it took a crazy ending. That I mean, take the rest of the series out. If that was just a one game and that was your game, a lot of people, neutral fans who were watching it, called it one of the best games of the season. I think they're right. It was a great game. It just sucked that Texas came out on the wrong end of it, of a walk-off extra innings steal, game-winning steal. I mean, it, it was wild. One of the wilder endings i've ever seen i mean and you could probably almost say that about the saturday game too where sure fell behind seven to two it was and by the end of the first inning they're they're down seven to two and then battle back right texas battles back scores nine unanswered um which is just absolutely nuts to hear and then steel comes to the mound and things kind of fall apart again for texas and uh it goes to extras and Again, we, you and I are very pragmatic and practical people when it comes to stuff like this. The guy who scored the 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 winning steal on Friday night and the guy who hit the ball hit the, the winning grand slam on Saturday night, like we're we're frustrated with the result for Texas. Um, but like, hats off to that dude. Like having he's going to tell his grandkids about this weekend. Yeah. Like, he's going to like. Granddad, tell us the baseball story again. And he's going to tell him about mm-hmm. how he is the one who beat Texas, the vaunted Texas Longhorns in, <laughs> in the year that they were predicted to be one of the best teams in the country. Like, And, and so, like, the guy had a heck of a weekend. And it's hard to um, overestimate somebody who comes into the bat- the batter's box and is seeing a beach ball. Like, it's just hard to to, to overestimate the that guy's ability. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, Jace Young was a guy who was coming in as hot as any hitter in the country, and he was not the guy who beat Texas, right? It was their leadoff hitter, uh, the guy with the country music star names blanking right now, uh, Easton something, and uh, and and the Warren this, Easton, yeah, that's him, and and Wilson, who again, like, yeah, he he did it in key moments, but he's not going to tell his grandkids he was two for thirteen. He's going to tell them I had a walk off grand slam and I got walked onto base and then stole my way wild pitch and then stole my way uh, home for a for a game winner. Like it's you know. Uh, he, he had himself a weekend. It was crazy. But look, again, talk about after a, a wild walk-off loss, you go down, you score two runs. You're like, all right, good start for us. You go then give up seven. Your starter gets yanked without getting an out. How many times have we said on this podcast that Stevens was efficient? He was, he was almost your most dependable thing. He was what you set your watch to. He may not be the flashiest, but he was the most dependable. He gets zero outs. Now you're you're stretching. You're going to long relief. You know you're you're down to to battle back like they did in itself was Herculean. And then to have to go to extras again. You've already stretched your bullpen. You're already in this weird space. You've you've had this game the night before. I mean, it was just it was crazy. Look, and and I will give credit to that nine unanswered doesn't happen without good pitching, right? I think um, you you basically. Had guys come in in, in Zane Morehouse, maybe in the best of them, four innings, three Ks, no hits during that stretch. But also the bats just said, no, we'll get you back. And in that stretch specifically, Melendez and Staley, you know, just 
didn't get out right the the that game they combined 10 to 10 for 10 with four home runs two doubles and seven rbis so they put the team on their back though uh, but it just it, you know it goes to a crazy thing again where multiple people get them back and then you, you you give it away one more time and that's that's the struggle right if if your team has the fight they show the texas fight and they come back but then you give it out again. It's like, how many times can you expect them to, to bail you out? And it's so weird. We've said for years, if only Texas had the offense that this pitching deserved. And now it weirdly feels like uh, an upside down world where that's the inverse. Yeah. And it's again, I remember saying that on the podcast numerous times. If only, if only, if only. And now we're seeing it in. And on Sunday, Texas proved that 12 runs is indeed enough to win a game. In fact, they lopped off two innings because it was so lopsided for them that Texas had 17 hits in seven innings, four home runs, a triple, and two doubles. Everybody got on the scoreboard. So that was a big seventh inning. And te- again, I- I'm, I'm saying it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. Like It was weird to see Texas score that many runs in two games and not win. And so it felt almost cathartic in a, in a weird way. Again, they avoided the sweep, which is big. But Texas being able to put 12 on the board and not have a pitching meltdown felt great. Yeah, they hit I think eleven home runs on the weekend. Yeah, Tech is is I've I've said it on this podcast. Their their Tech's offensive numbers are inflated because it's the easiest park in the country to hit a home run because the wind usually favors you. There wasn't a, like it wasn't their windiest weekend of the year. They will have more wind uh, right now. What's going on with A and M in Texas where there's just a big wind. If you lift it up, it's gone. We've had the opposite in in Austin times when the wind kills everything. But Lubbock, even when there's no wind, the way that it's out in the plains and the ball floats and the way that that it's situated, it, I mean. Uh, I'm not the only one who said that. I believe Kendall Rogers has talked about that as well from D1 Baseball, but it, it's the it's a hitter's park. So, I'm, But I'm not discrediting 11 home runs for the Horns. That's incredible. Uh, Faltini hit one in that third game that still might not have come down. He absolutely crushed it. But what I liked is, again, talk about Texas fight. After two just soul-crushing losses, as you, know, you started the season as the number one team, you're like, this is how we're losing our games? Are you kidding me? Then to come back and play like they did and run rule somebody, a lot of credit goes to Lucas Gordon who scattered his six hits over six innings so that they only earned, got one uh, one run scored on him. Um, I, you know, it, it was it was an answer in the best way that you could. Even Mitchell Daly uh, got his first home run of the year. You know, it's like uh, it was good to see Texas fight and come back, not lay down uh, after they easily could have and just given up that Sunday game. So speaking of battling back, Texas – Gave up a grand slam, like we just mentioned, to fall eight to four. But they uh, Trey Faltini just sent one over the fence to hopefully help them battle back again. Uh, Texas currently trailing eight to six against AM in that midweek matchup. Texas heading to Arlington because nobody really wants to go to Norman, so they're taking on OU in the Red River the, the Red River series in Arlington. You can check them out if you're in the area. I'd love to have you there and support the Horns. So the ending may have been disappointed, but we are nothing but proud of the Texas women. They Made it to the Elite Eight, second consecutive Elite Eight under Vic Schaefer before, unfortunately, falling to probably one of the best teams, well, easily one of the best teams in the country now, Stanford, uh, outlasted Ohio State in the Elite Eight, 66-63. to 63. They actually managed uh, to put a couple of comebacks together uh, in the weekend series. But Joanne Allen-Taylor went out with style like we knew she would. But, Kyle, I think just as we reflect on the season overall um, – this is a team that we talked about multiple times is ahead of schedule. So if they're doing this while they're so far ahead of schedule, Kyle, it, this makes me very hopeful for the future of Texas under Vic Schaefer. Yeah, absolutely. Look, they they 
stand okay. So Texas was what I said was one of the hottest teams in the country. They came into the tournament and their 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 current winning streak when they played Stanford was the second longest in the country with fourteen. Stanford's unfortunately was like twenty three. Uh, you know, Texas was one of three Stanford losses, and it was the first week of the season. Stanford really really figured things out. Uh, reigning national champion lost their point guard. Texas came in, pressed the heck out of them in the beginning of the season, did what they do, and you know, got got a punch in. You knew Stanford was going to counter. And honestly, I thought, you know, I thought Vic was a bit of a genius in that he switched it up and went speed in the Stanford game. First half, you know, had some gave Stanford everything they could handle. There was some some adjustments from Vandermeer going extra big and and it ultimately worked. But look, Texas made a run that was, you know, back to back elite eights in the first two Vic Schaefer seasons. We mentioned Texas being a year ahead, you know, the, the the play from Aaliyah Moore in the tournament, Rory Harmon being the best player all season. And not to discount Joanne Allen, Taylor, Audrey Warren, or Lauren Ebo, the three seniors who potentially may not be back next year. But what they have coming back next year and what they have coming in recruiting classes, they have a lot of talent. They're building dynastically. They're building for the future. And how do you win in, in the women's game, honestly, is, is you get – good players who've played in their coach's system, who know what they're expected to do, good guards, a couple good bigs, and a shooter, and you you, you go. I mean, Stanford had four. There are seven best players who played most of their minutes. Four seniors, two juniors, and a sophomore. That's, uh, you know, that's how you win. You you, you build these types of teams, and, and you know, look, the, the Ohio State game was, was a master class in limiting one of the best offenses in the country. I think Ohio State was like, uh, number eight, uh, you know, holding them and and still playing what they needed to. And then Vic switches it up and does something different against Stanford, knowing that they're a defensive juggernaut. I mean, it just shows that Vic Schaefer is going to come with the game plan. If you will listen and you will execute and you'll do what he wants to do and you'll buy in, then, then there is no ceiling for what this team can do again in year two. Back-to-back elite eight runs. Texas had only been to the Sweet 16 when they got to the Ohio State game. Was their 11th Time. I mean, they are a, a blue blood program because of what Coach Conrad did and having the first ever perfect season in women's basketball. There's no doubt. I'm not taking that away. But the, there have been gaps. There have been decades that were less than that level. Right. And so Vic Schaefer coming and immediately making back to back elite eights told the rest of the women's basketball world, look out. And when you do it and you're you're too. And I don't want to take anything away because I think Joanne, Tal- Joanne Allen Taylor was really our second best player. But your two most, I-, I would say, intimidating players with their upside of what they could do on any given night are freshmen in Rory Harmon and, and, and Aaliyah Moore. Um, it, a lot of teams took note. A lot of Stanford fans uh, were tweeting pretty nice things about Texas after this game because they saw it. And they knew, hey, if we're able to win back-to-back championships, we might be playing this game again trying to go for a third one or, you know, get our second one in three years, uh, it could go through Texas. I think everyone, maybe outside of South Carolina, because Don Staley is a monster uh, right now, is looking at Texas and and with a little bit of envy at what they have and how young they are and what they're building. New arena next year. I mean, the energy and synergy for what Vic is doing, it just, it feels like they are exactly in the right direction. And, and, and honestly, they won a close game against uh, in, in the Sweet 16, and they lost an absolute nail-biter with the hottest team in the country who hadn't lost in months, who was the reigning national champion. Like, there is no shame anywhere to be found in the way that they played this season. Absolutely not. No, and, and 
this is one of those like it sucks to lose, but there's so much to be excited for and so much to be happy about and so much to be proud of. I mean, you mentioned the young players. Aaliyah Moore was an absolute monster in these two games. She scored eight off the bench against Ohio State, and she had uh, not one but two blocks on those that final um, stretch one where Ohio State was trying to come back. And the final two possessions, she absolutely just – said, no, we're, we're not doing that. That's not what we're playing today. Uh, and it was just absolutely so impressive to, to see. And then against Stanford, uh, which there was, there's a long conversation to be had here about whistles and physicality and whether or not the Stanford coach may have seeded a couple of thoughts in a referee's head ahead of the game. Maybe, I don't know. I'm just, and I will, I will be banging some drums around that very topic. Jared, I'm, so I'm just spo- saying. teaser, teaser. I'm just, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to spoil anything for the, for uh, the, the final segment of the show, but um, yeah, maybe just shut your mouth sometimes, but the whistle seemed quick. We'll say it like that. The whistle seemed quick on one end of the floor, quicker on one end of the floor than they were perhaps per chance on the other. So um, yeah. Texas's inability to get into this, uh, it wasn't a disparity. Texas, again, if Texas hits, you know, what, 11, nine more free throws, it's a very different game. Um, but we mentioned, I started talking about Aaliyah Moore. Aaliyah Moore scored eight points in 10 minutes. That's where I was mm-hmm. going. She only was able to play 10 minutes because things got weird. Um, That's right. But eight points to ten minutes is, is nothing to be sad about. Yeah, and look, in in that game specifically, like I said, Stanford wins supersize. They have you know the the only player who was ranked above Paige Buchers. I'm sure you know that name from UConn in coming out of uh, high school was their six foot four center who um, you know had six blocks. Right, it was going to be tough inside, and then they they started running two big and three big at sometimes sets, and they just looked like. V- where Vic zigged and went with a, a different lineup and went with more speed. Uh, and, and maybe some of that was game plan and some of it was the fact the way they were calling the whistles, right? When when you have four fouls on every one of Texas's bigs that they could had really played any minutes this year. And when Aaliyah Moore, who again was one of the hottest players in the tournament, only gets to play 10 minutes, she'd been coming off the bench, but she'd been playing extended runs, but she picked up that uh, iffy foul that may have been you can, one of you the can things that changed... It was yeah, a BS, <laughs> a BS foul call, you know, at the end of the third quarter to go from a two point lead to a five point lead. Um, you know, uh, that also put Aaliyah Moore with her fourth foul. Like, uh, you know, you had Ebo, you had Gasson, you had everyone who could play, uh, you know, inside with the Giants that Stanford has in foul trouble because of the way they were calling it, especially down the stretch when Texas was down one possession with three minutes left and Stanford had back to back plays where. I think Joanne Ta- Allen Taylor literally was like, how, how can it be a foul? I didn't touch her. I tried, but I, I missed. I, I couldn't touch her. There was no contact whatsoever. You know, it, it was more the timeliness of when they chose to call those fouls, um, both in the beginning to get people in trouble. And then at the end, that that kind of hurt a little bit. Um, but, you know, it, again, it's the same thing as Texas men's basketball against Purdue. Texas women's basketball got a big team that was getting calls, and it was not the same free throw disparity, but it did have an equal impact when you know a, a higher seeded team with more size was able to do more at the free throw line, and that was the difference in a game that probably was one or maybe two possessions at worst in the final minutes of the game. So there is some synergy in the way they both went out, the women again, of course, in the Elite Eight. But I I take nothing away from great coaching between the two. You saw Vic and Vandermeer as equals in kind of making their adjustments and doing things, and you saw two of probably the four, uh, maybe five, uh, if you want to be 
not generous, best coaches in college basketball and in, in, in women's basketball. Um, so where you choose to seed and rank the Mulkies and the Ariemas and the Don Staley's in that list, you, 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 Vic is certainly without a doubt up there in Vandermeer, you know, you can't argue. So uh, again, I like where it is. I like measuring up against Stanford, the reigning champions who are the hottest team in the country. I like um, that Texas came up just short in a year that this is all Lanyap. You know, this was this was a year ahead of schedule at least. Uh, there's going to be some some departures. Likely, there's going to be some transfer portal incoming. I think there are players who Texas will go after. I think if they can get another sharpshooter, it does a lot. If they can get another big uh, or or progress the young bigs they have on the roster either way, but who are in the rotation, I think that's big. I think, you know, a healthy Moore and Harmon, who was held out that entire Ohio State game with foul trouble herself. Um, but, you know, if they can get those two players playing together healthy as sophomores and take the sophomore leap, again, you're, you're talking about sophomores. You still have two more years of national title aspirations just with the current roster, and then Vic has this pipeline running with recruits. So just leave it there, and I'll say – we're in a good spot. It's it, it stings to go out. You could have won that game, but they gave it everything, and they w- walked off that court with their head held high. I'll just say one last thing. Win Joanne Allen-Taylor, who is an absolute warrior, a legend, uh, one of my favorites to come through the women's basketball program in many, many years. When she fouled out against Stanford and had that moment with Coach Vic in the embrace, and you just saw a coach who, who for a moment didn't care about the game who didn't care about the fans or didn't care about anything, just cared about one of his being in an emotional state, maybe fouling out of her last game ever as a Longhorn and just that long and just embrace that they had. I mean, it was a moment. And and that's how I'll choose to remember this season. The We're ahead of schedule. We did it with the young players, but the, the seniors contributed too. And they, they poured every ounce in, in, of heart and soul that they had out there. Potentially more to come on that moment in your bang uh, the drum. But Texas finished the season 29-7, and seven, won 14 consecutive, including their run at a Big 12 trophy. Absolutely just insanely proud of the ladies as they, uh, as they put it together. And again, they will very likely be back making deep runs in the NCAA tournament sooner rather than later. But that brings us to the part of the show where we whip around all of the uh, incredible coverage and things going on on campus, and we down the 40. Number one, swimming and diving, doing what they do. I I mean, they didn't win the national championship, but they came up just shy, 436.5 points, trailing Cal with 47.5 while posting a 62.5-point margin over Florida. Uh, Jordan Wendell being out for this one on a suspension uh, was the big mark, I think the big uh, reason why Texas was unable to uh, get over that hump. I think Jordan Wendell, uh, if he's in this, it's a very different story. But again, uh, wish in one hand and spit in the other and see which one fills up quicker. The math checks out, Gerald. They lost by 51 points. They did not score really any diving points at this meet. Jordan Wendell had 52 at last year's nationals. Um, Cal scored zero uh, in diving. They did all of theirs in swimming. So it's almost exactly the, the Jordan Wendell sized hole, unfortunately um, that, that left this from being a national championship uh, repeat. Um, But you know, Look, I'm not here to quibble about a runner-up. They finished top two 
in the last eight national championships. They've won five of those. You know, uh, this is the 28th top two finish in Eddie Reese's history. The man's a legend. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it, it, I guess this is how Alabama football fans feel, you know, in their wildest dreams when you're over here quibbling. Uh, again, even this is far more dominant than Alabama football. But, uh, you know, when you're quibbling about, ah, we just missed another national championship. So uh, I'll just leave it at that. Um, you know, it, I'm taking pride that both of our men's and women's were uh, national runners up. Would have loved two national championships, but two runners up. I mean, it's it's hard to beat that literally the only way you can is is one place higher so uh a fantastic showing all in all uh at least it wasn't stanford director's cup rankings still pretty tight texas at 35 all americans 14 honorable mentions um the 800 free set a record for the uh, the United States of America. Drew Kibler, Kobe Carosa, Luke Hobson, and uh, Carson Foster did it in six minutes, three seconds, and eighty nine seconds. Six program records from Texas. Uh, Drew Kibler, Casper Corbo, Carson Foster, the two hundred free team of Kibler, Kruger, Corbo, and Ashenine is what we're going with. I think is what we ended up with. Um, and the two hundred medley team all set program records for the Longhorns. So big weekend for Texas again. We're excited and proud of. Of them and the work that they did in the pool. But we're not just here to talk about championship performances. We're talking about Texas uh, softball, getting back to their winning ways. We love it. We love to see it. We're glad that it's happening. Swept Kansas to open Big 12 play Friday, 7 to 6, Saturday, 9 to 2, and Sunday, 11 to 2 run rule. Kyle, we stopped keeping track because Texas lost a bunch of games. But there's another run rule to put up. And the big story for the weekend for me was that the Texas pitching staff seemed to have found its way, at least on the Saturday and Sunday games. Friday was a bit of a weird one, but definitely Saturday and Sunday, the pitching staff was doing uh, what we know and expect them to do each and every week. Yeah, Gerald, I'm going to just pause a little bit, right? Like we, we, we said many times covering this team earlier in the season that this was uncharacteristic what was going on. We hope they can right the ship. You know, they, they played tough teams, sure, but they just they lost in a way that we weren't used to seeing under under Coach White. We've also said Coach White is an, is an elite coach. And if you look at after they lost to a really, really good Alabama team, they were close um, on, on, you know, a really good Alabama team. They've ripped off 16 unbeaten. Um, that's, I think, their, their uh, second longest streak of the past 20 years. They had an 18 game in 2011, I believe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they are they are in fuego right now. And I think a big, big part of that, like you mentioned, is the pitching, and specifically Haley Dolcini, who we thought could come in and be the ace of the staff, um, stepping up and, and, and basically looking like the player we thought we were getting in the transfer portal. She was named both the Big 12 Conference co Pitcher of the Week, as well as two different publications, uh, D1 National Pitcher of the Week. So I guess tougher in the Big 12 than nationally. Um, but she was absolutely scintillating with a .37 ERA, 34 strikeouts over 19 uh, innings, just, you know, a, a not shabby, just about 13 Ks per seven. Um, one earned run, four total hits during that stretch, a batting average of .66. Um, and, and again, in those 16 wins, she's been integral dating back to March 12th. Specifically, she's won her last seven decisions. So she's looking like the, the, the pitcher that we thought we had. And I think, again, those, those are not coincidental streaks. I always like it when you bring scintillating out of the uh, bag of uh, tricks that you have there, Kyle. It makes me very, very happy to hear. But like you said, Texas 
extends its unbeating streak to 16 games, hoping to keep that going in the midweek matchup against Louisiana before welcoming the Iowa State Cyclones in to Red and Charlene McCombs Field over the weekend. Number six, women's tennis split the okie pokey. Uh, man, winning at number 11, Oklahoma State, but dropped a heartbreaker. But lost to number three, Oklahoma, four to three. Texas, again, they're a really good, they're a really good tennis team. The country club uh, teams are carrying Texas as it exists right now. I guess Oklahoma State won all three doubles matches and then went three and oh in all the ranked singles matches against the Cowgirls. And then, uh, man, it's, it's, you hate to lose to Oklahoma. Hate to lose to your rival, but uh, Oklahoma's a really good tennis team. I hate to say it, but they legitimately are. You could see a rematch of these two potentially in the uh, if they match up against each other in that that national championship bracket, depending where they're at on each side. Um, yeah, this one lasted four hours. Uh, came down to a tiebreaker on the third set on on number six singles. They even the the, the doubles went to extra sets, dramatic fashion in the last one there over the, the number four ranked Corley sisters doubles team. The, the singles going to the wire, multiple sets going to third sets or multiple matches going to third sets. Um, this was this was a, a, a tough one. If they could have got this, there's a chance after that. Uh, Oklahoma State was top 10 last week, but after that, that week they could have had uh, doing again, I'm glad you liked it, the okie pokey, um, that they could have gone gone up you know they're like a in the in the ita rankings like a decimal point off of fifth place they could have shot shot up to like number three uh if they won both of these they still likely will move up but uh yeah i, I this was this was a really close one in a heartbreaker but you know who it was not heartbreaking for was peyton stearns who won her second consecutive big 12 player of the week third of the season uh she went four and zero against top 50 ranked singles opponents this week she improved to something uh, just 17 and one uh in in singles uh seven and oh in doubles and playing with a preferred partner uh zamaripa but she she's she's untouchable this year number five feels like a number far too large she sh- she should see that shrink uh as she you know, I, I don't think anyone I was looking at it in the top 20 uh, has less losses than her at just one um, and 17 wins. There's a couple people with a few more uh, singles wins, but no one with a better win percentage. So that number five may be shrinking uh, in the coming weeks. Just unbelievable. She, she could be the number one uh, singles player by the end of the year. She's She's been on absolute fire and, and is... A, a large part on why they uh, that number next to the women's tennis team is shrinking. She's positioning herself for a run at a national player of the year uh, type of award season. So hopefully we'll see that continue for her on the men's side. Number 10 men's tennis defeats number 30, Oklahoma five to two took all of the doubles matches uh, and reigning big 12 player of the week. CM Woldab uh, had a ranked win, which was one of four singles points for Texas next up for Texas. Can, trying to continue their three-match win streak. Going to be tough heading to – or take welcoming Waco in to Austin on Friday before taking on Texas Tech on Sunday. Number one, rowing. Does what rowing do. Sweeping all four finals, getting all four boats across the finish line before the rest of the country does at the San Diego Crew Classic. Incredible performance from potentially the most dominant team on campus. Uh, they started number one, and they're looking like number one. The Crew Classic is largely referred to as America's premier spring regatta, um, with junior uh, like junior boats, collegiate boats, masters racing all included. In the college, only five boats were selected. Washington, Cal, USC, UCLA, the West Coast heavy hitters, and Texas just just worked them all. Um, it is uh, it, it's it's shaping up to be um, what could be a really special season for a team that was 
basically since Coach O'Neill has come, they have improved every year. If you take out the COVID year, they didn't have a championship. They went in consecutive years, fourth, third, second, no national championship competition, national championship. So they are maybe the hottest rowing program in the nation in the past five years. We call that trajectory, Kyle. They're on a positive trajectory. Speaking of positive trajectories, number one, Texas men and women got that ranking in the first outdoor season rankings of the year. Hosted the Texas Relays, one of the biggest track weekends in the country. And Texas did what Texas does. Texas went ahead and started off the Saturday medal day in incredible fashion, winning the four by two for the first time since 2003. They won the event um, with almost record time. They were uh, one one hundredth of a second away from tying the school record there. The women also won the four by two, but they actually did break the school record. It's the first group to win the four by two since 2014. It's also the second best a time ever recorded in the NCAA on the ladies' side. Um, they also won the four by one, which is always the highlight for me. The four by ones just always that's 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 the that's the track star event. I always love seeing it. Um, they also broke the four by four relay on the ladies' side, uh, and Crystal Herpin um, also set a record on the ladies' side with a fifty three point two seven meter, or if you're doing it in good old American, one hundred and seventy four feet with a discus, which is absolutely incredible. And then, Kyle, you have a paragraph about Trip Papari, and I want you to take that one away. Well, you talk about throwing things a long way. Trip Papari is doing it as good as any person in the college ranks in, in the country right now. He was named the, I love this acronym, always do, USTFCCA, uh, Male Athlete of the Week. Uh, after he won the, the, the shot put in record fashion, uh, he took down good friend of the podcast, uh, Longhorn track, Mount Rushmore uh, head, Ryan Krauser took down his two-time gold medalist, Ryan Krauser, I should say, world um, uh, record holders, outdoor shot put um, with a throw of 21.54 meters. That's 70 and 8 inches, 70 feet, 8 inches. Krauser held the record at 70 two to five in 2014 at the big 12 championships so he's doing some things he's projecting to be a two-time olympic gold medalist if he's just going to be the next krauser so no big deal there um prepare through over 21 meters all of his last four attempts like two different of his throws broke krauser's record so prepare is in rarefied air and don't don't forget there's a younger Papiri so it's just this this thrower's pipeline is fantastic and I love to see it it's not just the relays it's not just the jumpers it's not the things that that coach Flo has been known known for uh his whole time they they, they throw things really far as well and they will continue to do so for the rest of the year. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Man, Joe, I hinted at this, and I went back and forth a little bit if I wanted to be how hard I wanted to go on this. Stanford won, and they deserve to, and they are a really good team, and I just spent a lot of time talking about that during our breakdown, but allow me a moment for a bit of pettiness. Stanford coach... Tara Vandermeer basically preempted, as Gerald alluded to in her press conference, which I've never seen another coach do in any sport, really, but I guess in, in basketball where it's pertinent, where fouls are called and officiating is, is you know, 
can can make or break a game, as we just talked about both the men's and women's side uh, being incredibly involved the the zebras in both of those games but she she talked about the physical nature that texas plays in um and she said there are three people on the floor tomorrow that aren't playing um or excuse me who who aren't playing basketball they're playing we don't want to see football or rugby the refs will need to keep that under control like I, i i read that quote and i was kind of pissed and then i went and watched the interview and it's not taken out of context she said exactly what she meant and let it exactly the way she did. And, and I, you know, I love Coach Schaefer, but I also adore his daughter, Blair Schaefer, who's on the staff and is a, is a fantastic coach. Um, but she tweeted out, wow, I wish you would have seen this yesterday. Our women will never be rugby f- or football players. They will always be physical, competitive athletes who press for 40 minutes, guard the hell out of other teams, and fight their ass off to keep teams at their lowest scoring average. Just wow. I mean, that's the coach who's the daughter of the head coach coming out and and that's – that's not tight-lipped, right? Like she's 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 mad. Like that's a person who's who's mad to read that, and rightfully so. If you go back and watch that game again, I talked about it. Stanford has a bunch of size. They had eleven blocks in this game. Cameron Brink probably won the game for them with all of those blocks and and not allowing Texas to get in the inside. But you know what happens if they call that game both ways, where they don't get Texas's bigs in foul trouble or multiple those those blocks that Brink had could have been called fouls. And uh, instead of her four personal fouls, she was fouled out 15 minutes earlier. Texas wins that game. If if they have some of their bigs and the rebounding disparity isn't 45 to 28, Texas wins that game. Again, I'm, Vic chose to go small. It was a decision to play speed, to get in the press, all those things. But also, if they had their bigs available to help with the rebounds and maybe score some points inside, they could have won that game. So, look, I'm not going to sit here and try to rewrite history. Stanford won, but... And I felt a lot better after the game saying, good opponent. We lost to a really good team. Then when I saw that quote, which I did not see beforehand, it really just soured my perspective of the game. I hate that a coach took anything away from this Texas team and those girls who fought their absolute tails off and left literally tears and absolute literally blood and without a doubt sweat on the court. They 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 poured everything into this season, into, into playing – Vic Schaefer's way of pressing you, of playing for 40 minutes, of running. I mean, Rory Harmon, Joy and Alan Taylor, they play every minute of every game and they never stop running. They, they're the hardest working team in college basketball, in my opinion. And and I don't take anything ever away from that team. Like, I, I want to praise Vandermeer because she did had great adjustments, but also like don't go Kim Mulkey on this. Don't lose your dignity in the process. Just be a great coach. Leave that petty stuff out of it. Be classy. Congratulate the other team. Shake their hands whether you win or lose and say great job. Like Vic Schaefer went through each of his opponents that they beat, Ohio State, Utah, Dayton, and, and shook the, the, the players' hands, the coaches' hands, told them something to their top players about what he appreciated about the way they played. Just, just did it with class and dignity, and it just – I don't know. I, I much prefer having that as my coach and, and going out in the Elite Eight than than playing these types of games. I'm not one to knock the hustle. You you gotta you gotta play every angle you can and especially and and I'm 
I feel like she was worried that if Texas was going to play physical, that Stanford, uh, if they didn't get favorable whistles, would not be able to keep up. We maybe saw a little bit of that as evidence, but uh, I'm going to keep with the women's basketball theme, and I'm banging the drum this week on Vic Schaefer, and, and we put it out there on Twitter, but in two years, Vic Schaefer has more Elite Eight victories than Texas had, or Elite Eight trips than Texas has had in the three decades prior. And that's not to say that he's better or going to have a better career, but Vic Schaefer has this team on a trajectory that, that we're excited to see. But the thing that's more important to me, and Kyle, Kyle mentioned it and alluded to it in the, in the basketball breakdown earlier in the show, but the thing that stuck out to me is how much Vic Schaefer loves these players and how much the players respond to that. Um, and if you don't know this about me, you're new to the podcast, you haven't heard me talk about this before. I'm a leadership and management consultant in my day job. Kyle and I just do this as a fun thing a couple times a week. And one of the things that we always talk about with leaders is like, you can only take people as far as they want to let you. And Vic Schaefer is a very demanding, a very excellence driven, a very will get on your behind. If you remember his comments about Lauren Ebo potentially and her uh, her conditioning earlier in the season, um, he's not one to mince words and he's not one to lean off of you. He's one to lean on you. But you can tell he does it in the right ways. You can tell he does it in a way that's affirming, that it pulls the best out of his age. Because for me, it doesn't get any better than the moment where Vic, Vic is having a moment with Joanne Allen Taylor, who if you listen to her post-game press conference, is probably not going to be coming back for another year. She's going to explore the WNBA options and more power to her. But the thing we talk about with athletics is that it's designed to teach life lessons. You learn more life lessons between the chalk lines or between the baselines than you will, I think, uh, doing anything else growing up. And that's just something that I'm firmly convicted by. And, and the life lesson that we learn from Vic Schaefer here is that the way to demand and get excellence from your people is to love them just as hard as you coach them. And that, to me, is the essence of why Vic Schaefer has the opportunity and likely, again, if you and I, if, if our uh, prognostications are complete, we'll bring Texas a national championship, I think, in women's basketball sooner rather than later because these ladies are responding to whatever Vic Schaefer is doing and it's only up from here. Gerald, I love that we both just did our bang the drum about women's basketball. I've always said that there's lots of things you could listen to. If you choose to listen to this, I hope you like women's sports because Gerald and I treat all Texas sports equally, but... We do love this women's basketball team a lot, and uh, they deserve a little little extra coverage and bang the drum as we wrap up their season. But I, I also I love what you said. I love what you're saying. Hope everyone was a fan of this run, a fan of this team, and is, is buckled in. Like like the way we ended the season, closing out the drum. I hope fans show up and open up the next arena um, for both the men and the women uh, as basketball uh, heads in the right right direction. I think in both sports. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas pregame. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Gooder. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, we're the Longhorn Republic. Or you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. Until next time, hook them. Hook them. Hook them.